Amen. This is regularly a spot uh, in the service where we continue with worship and singing, right? Um, and so I've prepared a song, and it goes a little something like this. No. I'll spare you. We are doing things uh, a little bit differently. As you can see, we've got, um, we've got the baptismal here. We're going to be doing some baptisms later on in the service. That's always um, kind of inspiring and fun and, and uh, a great celebration, so we're going to be doing that. You also notice we've got uh, like the palm, uh, palm theme headed up over there by the baptismal, and that's because uh, we're going to be talking this morning uh, about the triumphal entry. We're actually, we finished our series in Ruth, and as you can see, we're starting uh, into a new series in the Gospel of John, and uh, we're going to lead up to Easter by starting at chapter 12. That's where we'll be today, so those of you that brought your Bibles and want to get there, John 12 is where we're going to start, and then we'll move from John 12 all the way up through the, uh, through the occurrences that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection that we'll celebrate on Easter, and then after that, we're going to loop back around to John 1 and carry forward that way. And our goal in the middle of all this, in reading John's gospel and studying it together, is that we want to get a clearer, better, more accurate picture and understanding of who Jesus is. We want to become incredibly familiar with what he said and what he taught, how he lived, how he ministered, the miracles he did, all of those things. And along the way, we will simply get to know him better. And um, one of the things that we would love for you to consider, and I I want you to to be praying about this, um, is that over the course of this series, which will be quite a few weeks actually, over the course of this series, would you consider at least one time bringing someone with you to church who you know just needs to get a clearer, better picture of who Jesus is and how much he loves them and cares for them? I'm going to ask, like, specifically as a goal, maybe someone that doesn't typically come with you to church. Maybe someone from outside your uh, typical circle. Can you imagine what it would be like if over the course of the next months that we're doing this series, if every one of us started bringing someone else along with them to church to meet Jesus? Well, we'd have a seating problem and a parking problem and all kinds of practical issues, to be sure. But you know what? Let's have those kinds of problems. Those are kinds of problems that we ought to be having, and I want to see more and more of them. So would you do this? Would you begin praying even now that God would drop the name of that person or that family, uh, that he would have you invite to come be a, a part of this series in the Gospel of John at some point along the way? And then begin asking God to kind of nudge your heart when the time is right, when the moment is correct, and, and it's just the right time to invite him to the next week. And if you do that, I believe you will hear God uh, leading you and prompting you. And when you respond faithfully to that, um, we're going to see great things happening in the lives of those who come. Because we don't, we are, are we in agreement on this? We don't just come here to feel better about us. We come here because God's given us a job to do. And it's to embody his love and to share it with as many people as we can. Right? And that means, uh, and that means sometimes stepping outside our comfort zone to do, do that. So be in prayer. Get ready to do some inviting. And we'll dive in here in uh, John chapter 12. The triumphal entry. Typically, you talk about that the the week before Easter, um, but we're talking about it now. Just as a little bit of backdrop, in John chapter 11, the previous chapter, Jesus has completed uh, one of his greatest miracles. He actually raised Lazarus from the dead. There was Lazarus, literally dead, literally in the grave for days, and Jesus calls out to him, uh, to the tomb, says, Lazarus, come forth, and he does. And the people are, understandably, pretty astounded. And uh, with that in view, they come in uh, to this uh, John 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 1. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way 
to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Uh, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised from the dead, raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. So here's the deal. The festival that that speaks to, the celebration that's going to be taking place in Jerusalem, is the festival of Passover. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem and finds that he's greeted by this chorus of people crying out to him and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna just means, Lord, save us. And they're crying out to him. There's a lot going on here. This is, a, this is a big deal. And to understand it, we have to look at it from a few different directions or perspectives. We need to try in a few different lenses to understand the, the gravity and the significance of what was taking place here at this triumphal entry. And the first part of that I want to look at is just kind of the historical lens and say, historically, here's what was taking place. Passover for the, uh, for the Jews was the feast and festival and celebration of the year. It was a huge, big deal. It was the feast that celebrated the time that God um, delivered them from slavery and bondage in Egypt and, and brought them out from Egypt, got them across the Red Sea, and established them as his chosen people. Prior to that event of Passover and of deliverance, they were just a bunch of people who were slaves to the Egyptians. And it was that moment of being delivered that they became God's people in a new, direct powerful way. And so that for them was this central piece of their cultural identity. It was all about who they were, and it mattered a lot to them. It was a religious celebration. It was a a cultural celebration. It was everything kind of rolled into one, and it was a party. If you can picture if they took like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Mardi Gras and the 4th of July, and they just wrapped them all into one and said, you can only celebrate it one week a year, and it's only in Washington, D.C., Can you imagine what kind of party that would be? I mean, you may not be able to get there every year to celebrate it, but you would make sure for certain at some point in your life, and as often as you could, that was a party, that was a celebration that you'd want to be a part of because you couldn't celebrate it anywhere else. And so when the week for Passover came, the Jews came from all over the nation. Everybody who possibly could made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate. And Jesus was among them. Jesus... uh, His personal history in Jerusalem around the Passover wasn't really successful. You know, the first time he got there, they they argued with him, and and he got into some trouble with the religious leaders. The next time, they tried to capture him and imprison him. And the time after that, they were getting ready to kill him when he escaped. And so things had been getting progressively a little more edgy for Jesus every time he came to Jerusalem and every time he celebrated the Passover. But this time, as he arrives, he's not greeted with threats. He's not greeted with trouble. He's greeted by the throngs of people calling out his name and singing his praises. That's what was going on historically. But alongside of that, there's also a lot going uh, going on theologically as well. Because the words that they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, come straight out of Psalm 118, Psalm 118. 
And this is a song among a group of songs that the, the, the Jews would sing on their way up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. And so traditionally, year in and year out, as people were coming from every direction and they kind of converged on Jerusalem and they made their way up the hill towards Jerusalem, together they would be singing these psalms of praise to God. Only this time, as Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem, they're singing those songs to him. And there's a strong statement here that they, are, that they, are ident- that they have identified their Messiah. They have identified this promised king that God has promised them as well. And there was no doubt about this. There was no uncertainty about this. When we read about this particular uh, event in the book of Luke, in Luke's gospel, he makes it real clear that as everyone's crying out to Jesus and and saying, save us, and treating him as if he is the promised Messiah and king, the, the religious leaders get really upset because they don't believe that you should worship anyone but God. And they, and they see Jesus as just a man. And these cries of Hosanna and save us would not be appropriate to say to just a man. And so in, in religious outrage, they say, Jesus, you tell your followers to stop. It's not right that they should be worshiping a man the way they should worship God. And Jesus told them in that account, he said, look, I, I, I'm not going to stop them. This is, an or, this is a day that God has ordained from time before. And if, and if we stopped the people from singing praise in this moment, then even the very rocks themselves would rise up and declare that Jesus is God's appointed king. See, the religious leaders understood that what was taking place here theologically was that there was a recognition that this man riding up to Jerusalem on a donkey was the Messiah, and the people recognized it. The religious leaders were threatened, and so they fought it, but there was no uncertainty about what was taking place. In addition to the theology, there's also some other prophecy that's being fulfilled as well, specifically the part about him riding in on a colt. The prophet Zechariah had written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Later on in that same prophecy, Zechariah wrote, The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock, and they will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. And so these people who see Jesus riding the colt and throngs of people crying and screaming, Hosanna and save us and and ready to anoint him as their king. They have this sense, here's a prophecy that's been around for hundreds of years and I get to be here today to see it fulfilled. This is the day that God will save us. This is the day that like, like the sheep of his fold, we will see his saving hand. And because of what God is doing this day in this moment with this savior, we will sparkle in this land like jewels in a in a crown. And so there was this incredible enthusiasm, this passion, and this energy. And there were some political realities circling as well. We know that Israel was essentially a a conquered country at that point. They were occupied by Rome, and Roman soldiers were there and kind of kept the peace that way. And so although they were God's chosen people, they were forced to live under the oppression of Roman tyranny, and they didn't love that. And so here's what the Romans saw as this man on a colt headed a parade to the uh, cries and the worship of those around him. See, the Romans had a tradition of their own. When a, uh, when a particularly successful general was welcomed back into Rome, when his time of service was, was over and the Senate in Rome wanted to let the world know what a great and victorious a warrior this man had been, they gave what was called a triumph. That's where we get the word. They gave a triumph. And in that triumph, it was like being... Um, 
It was like being brought into the, uh, the Warriors Hall of Fame. It was like an induction ceremony. And the, all the members of the Senate would walk down the main streets of Rome. And behind them, there would be all kinds of pageantry. And at the end, in a, ch- in a chariot drawn by horses that were all decked out, would be this general who was being honored. And the people would cry out to him, and they would wave palm branches, and they would lay their clothes on the, on the pavement in front of them, on the road in front of them, and they would honor him. It was the entry of a great man and a military hero back into his home. And so as the Romans look on, they see the Israelites, they see the Jews with their hero, welcoming their king and understanding this could get edgy. When, when, when you're the Roman occupiers of a foreign land, you have one job, and that is to keep the peace. And an entire population singing the praises of someone who's coming and being anointed as the promised king, this could get dodgy. So their eyes are on that absolutely as well. And part of that has to do also with the fact that socially there was something amazing going on. The historians tell us that at that that time, the population of Jerusalem typically was around 30,000 people. Okay, But that during the week of Passover, with everyone coming in from all over, that the population of Jerusalem would rise from 30,000 to about 180,000. I was never great at math, but I think that's six times normal, right? That's a lot. Can you imagine? It was like Hoop Fest on steroids. <laughs> what, if, what if during Hoop Fest, two million people descended on the city and, just, and came all together downtown? And what if in the middle of that, there's this kind of grassroots uprising and the people are celebrating and they're singing and they're chanting and they're worshiping and there's this energy and this power here that's overwhelming and it culminates with this man riding on a donkey and and ascending up into jerusalem as the people declare that he is the king that god has promised us it was a mighty and a powerful entrance and there were several different responses to that entrance there were the religious rulers and they opposed it They were very uptight. They were very threatened. They stood with arms crossed and faces smeared and threatened to write a blog about how inappropriate this all was. They opposed it. In addition to that, the the Romans were there. They didn't just let this thing happen without at least keeping an eye on it. And they they weren't so much opposing, but they were observing. They were making sure they understood what was taking place and doing their best to not let things get out of hand. There were those opposing, there were those merely observing, and then there were those who were participating. 180,000 almost, participating in a glorious moment of worship and celebration and joy and, and civic pride and all of it all rolled up together. Where do you find yourself in those responses? Are you, are you maybe one who, who opposes Maybe you're here this morning not because you have any interest in, in following Christ or, or hearing what he may have to say. Maybe you're here with, with a friend or with a loved one. And that's great. I'm glad that you're here. We welcome you here. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure that one of the people that was there opposing on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem was Saul of Tarsus, one of the key religious leaders in his day. And within a few short months, he became a believer. Because although he didn't believe as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, He kept an open mind and became convinced later on. And when he was convinced, it changed everything. Or maybe you're not opposed. Maybe you're just observing. Maybe you're newer to all of this God and church and Jesus business. And you're at a place where you're just exploring and figuring out what's it all about. 
Maybe I'm interested. I'd like to see more. I'd like to understand more of what it means. And that's fantastic as well. You know, there was a, there was a Roman centurion who, uh, who got to observe everything leading up to Jesus' death. And when Jesus finally died, he had come to the conclusion, after all of that observation, surely this man was the Son of God. Or maybe you're one here who is a participant, who continues week in and week out to come and to join with us as we worship God and hear his word proclaimed and declare his praises as well. And whether you observe or oppose or participate, um, it's very interesting that in this story, one thing becomes common in all of them. See, on this day, the shouts and the cries are all about Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But within five days, those shouts of praise and those declarations of worship had changed and turned around entirely. And five days later, it was these same crowds that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And it were these same people who were driving nails and spikes through his flesh and into a cross made of wood on which he would hang and die. How does that happen in so short a time? How do we account for people convinced that this is the Messiah and giving him worship and praise to calling for his execution and his death? Well, it happened because although these crowds were willing to take part in a moment with Jesus that was wonderful and exciting and triumphant, they were not really committed to following him. They were committed to being a part of the winning team. They were committed to being part of something that was successful. They were willing to follow him as long as things kept working out well. But the moment that that changed, and the moment that the tables turned, and it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to win, and that he wasn't going to become the king that they expected, his followers ran away, and they pretended they didn't know him. And the crowds demanded his execution. And here's what's interesting about that crowd on the day of the triumphal entry, that everyone's singing and crying out their praise and, and calling out to Jesus. And you couldn't tell from the outside which ones were committed to being real followers and which ones were just the fair-weather friends. And I have to say that I think in many ways that's exactly like what takes place here at Life Center North and in churches all over the world, everywhere, each Sunday. Because when we gather, we're always a mixture. We're a mixture of people who don't believe and people who are figuring out what to believe and if they believe, people who are considering and exploring and wondering, and also a combination of those who are actively participating in worship. We're this mixture of people and places. And just like that day in Jerusalem, there are probably here today in this room now many who are perfectly willing to follow Jesus as long as it's helpful, as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's convenient. But what will happen and how do things change when following Jesus becomes unpopular? Or if it becomes difficult? Or if it fails to produce what I think it should produce? And if things fail to turn out maybe the way that I envisioned them turning out? Will we walk away and decide it's time to try something different? The question is, are we actually committed to following Jesus? Or are we merely committed to having the life that we want and living the life that we want and hoping that Jesus fits into that? And if he doesn't, we'll just simply move on to the next thing that comes along. And unfortunately, in this world, there is an epidemic of 
ex-Christians who at one time followed Jesus up until it became clear to them that he was not meeting their expectations. So like a fantasy football player who's not gaining them any points, they just dropped and traded and picked up something else. Something more attractive. Something that seemed like it was going to be more successful. Something that seemed like it had greater potential to meet the expectations. Maybe you're one of those who's been really disappointed by Jesus at some point along the way. Maybe you entrusted something really, really important to him and he didn't come through the way that you needed him to. I think most of us have been there at one point or another where we, we prayed and we sought and we asked for that job that we needed and it didn't come through. Or that relationship that meant everything to us came crashing to the ground even as we were asking Jesus to save it. Or we didn't get into the college that we applied for. Or we didn't qualify for the loan that we really needed. Or whatever that disappointment may be where we said, God, I need you to help me with this. And he had something else in mind. Or maybe you weren't necessarily disappointed or uh, disillusioned by Jesus himself. Maybe you've had some difficulty with some of his followers. Maybe someone who should have called you and didn't. Maybe someone who should have followed up with you and prayed but didn't. Maybe this church or another church did something or said something that created pain for you and caused hurt and harm. You know, ultimately, there are only two types of people here at Life Center North and in any church. Those who have been harmed and been hurt and those who will eventually be harmed and be hurt. (laughs) And that's because a church has never been a collection of perfect people, right? It's always an assembly of broken people who eventually say and do things that are wrong and cause pain. And when that happens, it it is sad and it's tragic and, and... We as an organization and we as individuals do what we can to shore that up and to make things right. But the church has also been a place where pain can be worked through and where conflict can be resolved and where broken relationships can be restored and where forgiveness can be sought and it can be received. But maybe for whatever reason you've been disappointed by God or by his followers and that somehow damaged your relationship with God. And I want to take a moment this morning Take a seri- and ask you to take a serious look at your relationship with God, your faith. And I want to ask you just this question. Are you on board with Jesus for as long as it works out and goes well? Or are you all in? A lot of people treat their relationship with Jesus, um, unfortunately, a little bit like a test drive of a car going to hop in, going to zip around, going to see how it handles, see if I like the feel, and uh, knowing full well that if I, don't like, if I don't like it, I can take it back, drop it off, and move on to whatever's next. And I'll be honest, if you're one of those who's observing and exploring and figuring out what Christian faith is all about, that's a great time to take a, dress, a test drive. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that for a while. But eventually, they make you bring the car back to the dealer, and they ask you, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, yes, I'll take it? Or are you going to say, no, thank you, I'm not interested? And one of the things that happens, unfortunately, is that sometimes we find that there are those among us who have been test-driving Jesus for a year, for five years, for ten years. And the fact of the matter is that today I simply want to say there are many of us here, some of us here, who know everything that we need to know in order to make the decision that we need to make. I want to challenge you this morning to make a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. 
I realize that regardless of how the circumstances go, no matter how it turns out, Jesus remains the best, first, and only hope for rescue in this life and for salvation in the next. I want to offer you the opportunity for the very first time, perhaps, to declare where your faith is concerned, I'm all in. That it's not about an expected outcome or things turning out the way I want, but I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, come what may. Now, if you're an observer and you're exploring Christian faith and you are at a place, I still need to know more, I'd like to understand more, I'm still gaining some knowledge about what it's all about, I do not want to rush you in that process whatsoever. I would say to you, keep seeking, keep looking, keep learning, keep knocking. And in time, God will let you know when it's time to make that all-important decision for you for sure. I'm not asking you to rush that process today whatsoever. But I am talking primarily this morning to those of us who already know that the time has come. You know everything that you need to know. You've learned everything you need to learn to make a legitimate, informed decision about whether or not you will commit to being a follower of Jesus. And I'm not sure what you've been waiting for, and I'm not sure what the hesitation to this point has been about, but you've maybe been coming to church and participating in worship and joined us in shouting Hosanna and blessed be the name of the Lord, and you've sung the songs and taken part, but somehow you've drawn a line at commitment. You've never come to the point where you say, I'm all in, and I will follow Jesus come what may, wherever he leads me. And that's a big statement because we know where Jesus leads us won't always be into triumph and celebration, right? That sometimes God leads us into dry and deserty places, and sometimes he leads us through difficult places to grow his character in us, and that following Jesus doesn't just mean a straight line to the victory, but it means a lifelong journey with all of the ups and all of the downs. And I'm inviting you this morning to make a commitment that says, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus wherever he leads. And if that's you, and if you're ready to make that decision this morning, I want to tell you, um, I want to suggest something that you can do, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about what you can expect. Okay? As far as what to do, if that's you, if you've been test driving Jesus long enough, and, it, and it's time to make a decision, and, and you're ready to declare, I'm following Jesus no matter what, um, I'm going to ask you to do this. On your tear-off tab, in the empty box there, just write down these words. I'm all in. You can print it in small letters. You can print it in big block letters. You can handwrite it. You can decorate it. But write it if that's you. Okay? Now, there's nothing magic about the writing it. Okay? That's just a declaration uh, of your heart. But that's what, that's what you can do. And then you'll put that in the offering when it comes by a little bit. And then here's what you can expect. What you can expect is that when we get that in the church office, that we're going to follow up with you. We're going to give you a phone call. We're going to connect with you. And we have people who are ready to contact you and to meet with you over several weeks to help you take and understand those all-important next steps in being a long-term committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so I, I really want to do this. I think I can save... Um, use some frustration and irritation, and I can save the organization some, some energy and some effort. If what you want to write is, I'm all in, but you know you're not going to return a phone call, you don't want to talk to anybody, and you're just going to ignore the emails, if that's you, I mean, your heart is your heart, and I make no judgment there, but please don't write, I'm all in, if you don't want to be contacted. It'll, it'll work out well. And I, I would say this, though, with all compassion, 
And with all love, I would respectfully suggest that if you're unwilling to have someone talk with you and meet with you about moving forward in a lifelong commitment of that magnitude, that you might not be as all-in as you want to be. But I'm looking forward to seeing the tear-off tabs of those who are saying, I am in, and I do want to grow, and I want to know what step to take, and I would relish somebody helping me with that. And that is something that you can, that you can uh, be ready for. Now, there's also a number of us who said, look, I, I've been a Christian for quite a while. I've, I've been all in. I just haven't been very good at it. And, and I kind of need get back, to get back to the business of following Jesus well. If you want to put, I'm all in again, perfect, love it, excellent. The follow-up might be a little bit different than that, okay? And that's all right, but please don't hesitate from making a commitment like that as well. And we'll put that in the offering when it comes by in just a little bit. Um, before we get to that, though, we get the chance to do something incredibly exciting. We get a chance to celebrate. We've got a group of people who in just a few minutes are going to be baptized right over here. And that is awesome. This is their public declaration that they are all in in following Jesus and that their commitment to follow and to obey him as their Lord and as their Savior is one that they will honor for the rest of their lives. And we get to observe and to celebrate that commitment along with them. They know, they know that the road ahead will be marked with some highs and some lows, some victories and some losses. Of course they do. But by being baptized today, they are declaring that no matter what, they will follow Jesus regardless. They have already made the exact same decision that I have challenged you to make today by writing that you're all in on that card. And then now they just want everybody to know about it. And we're going to celebrate that with them. Here's how it's going to happen. The band's going to come up. Or they're already here. They're very good. Um, <laughs> the worship that we didn't do earlier, we're going to do here at the end of the service. And I just want to encourage each one of us. I mean, there's not 180,000 of us, but can we bring the kind of energy and passion that was likely there on that day of the triumphal entry as people cried out to Jesus and were ready to declare that he is king? That's going to be awesome. And, and along the way, at different points along the way, you'll see up on the camera, people are going to be being baptized. And they'll, be, they'll be rocked back into the water and submerged, and that'll symbolize the old person that they have been being put to death. And then they'll be raised up out of the water, symbolizing being brought up to new life and life eternal in Jesus Christ. And that is a powerful moment. That's the moment where Jesus heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And there's a word from God for each one of them like that as they come up from the waters. And we get to celebrate that with them. So I expect and anticipate a lot of cheering and a lot of celebration with that as well. Maybe you're here and this has been your day and you know it. And you said, yeah, I, I am all in. The time has come for my decision. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm today declaring I'm a follower of Jesus. If that's you and you're not willing to wait till the next baptism, you want to get baptized today because it's time, you know what? Once we start worshiping, head on over, talk to Pastor Mike. He's over at the wall there. We'll get you baptized. We don't have a change of clothes for you. We do have some extra towels. We can dry you off. After that, you'll be on your own. But, but it's okay if things get a little messy and drippy. That would be something that would be really cool to celebrate. But whether it's these who are prepared or others who say, just today I want to do it because I feel God leading me that way, this is something that we can celebrate and enjoy together. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we prepare to worship the Lord. God, would you cause your joy to rise up within each one of us now? 
And as these precious ones are being baptized, God, would you speak a word deep into their heart that sustains them? God, would they know your pleasure and your joy? And God, would you visit us in this moment of celebration as we celebrate your triumphant entry into our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's.